All rise and welcome back to the Conduct Detrimental Sports Law Podcast, where we'll enter final judgment on all the top sports law controversies of the day and where opinions are never subject to appellate review. I'm your host, Daniel Wallach, legal analyst for The Athletic and the founder of Wallach Legal LLC, the country's first sports wagering focused law firm. On today's docket, NFLPA Executive Committee member Lorenzo Alexander, a.k.a. the One Man Gang, drops by to discuss the NFL's new collective bargaining agreement and why he voted against it. We also address the controversial decision to reduce disability benefits for hundreds of former NFL players and why Lorenzo believes that that decision was a mistake by the NFL and NFLPA. Coming up next on Conduct Detrimental. Welcome back to Conduct Detrimental. I'm your host, Daniel Wallach. Joining me at the beginning of this episode, at least, is my producer and sometimes cohort, uh, Robert Schmitz, without whom none of this would be possible. So thanks for uh, joining me, Robert. Uh, we're about halfway or about to go into the second episode, the Forgotten 400 installment. Um, what did you think of the first episode? I thought it was great. I don't mean to toot our own horns because I know we worked a good bit on it, but I think it's a story that's just not getting told, and it's really cool what you were able to dig up on it. Look, I'm somebody that spent a whole lot of time last week involved in the draft, but with the CBA, which is currently more of an afterthought than anything, it's wild to think that this many lives of these former retired players are, well, I wouldn't call them erased, but I would say they're being so heavily impacted by something that, to be totally frank, nobody's talking about. So it's really cool to see you turning the stone over and getting to the bottom of this story. Yeah, it was amazing to me that the mainstream media uh, really hasn't gravitated to this issue. I think there was a New York Times story on one element of it. Uh, but most fans and I, I, I think most people are just focused on the the major economics of the CBA, the revenue share between the active players and the league, the 17th game issue, the disciplinary elements to the CBA. I think the retired players and former players um, sometimes get forgotten during the negotiations surrounding it. And, it. and it makes sense on one level because they're not represented in the CBA negotiations. As former players, they are really beholden to the... Um, I guess the goodwill and the respect by current players for the contributions that former players have made to the game. Uh, the, the the hundreds of players who were drafted this weekend, they're going to be former players one day. They're former players. They're going to care a whole lot about pension, things like pensions, disability, the way the system works. So if the system is set up to fail today, it's going to not only fail the current former players, but it will fail the players who cycle in and out of the league and suffer disabling injuries and are going to depend on, you know, disability to be able to survive. And if the rules are rigged to prevent, you know, players from qualifying for NFL disability benefits, then these players, uh, current players face a grim, you know, post-career afterlife. So 
the NFL's disability plan is vital. It is the sort of the economic lifeline to hundreds of players who've given their their bodies, their minds, and their all to their game. And uh, it's it's frustrating to me to see the current players in the league not only ignoring uh, their interests, but sabotaging and overturning the vested rights that have already been granted to them. To wit, number one, uh, most players who collect total and permanent disability benefits under the NFL's disability plan qualified by having the Social Security Administration determine that they're disabled. This CBA eliminates that and will force the 400 or so um, former players who are currently receiving T&P disability benefits who qualified through Social Security to now have to run the gauntlet of NFL plan doctors who are going to impose either heightened standards or not give them the benefit of the doubt and strike them from the plan. And my guest yesterday, Paul Scott, estimated that roughly half of the 400 or so inactive A's could find themselves terminated from the NFL disability plan through the elimination of the automatic qualifier. We then also discussed yesterday during our tutorial on on, uh, the new CBA, we discussed how there's this new social security offset provision, which basically takes away from these retired disabled players Uh, roughly 20% of their disability benefits. So if they're collecting Social Security disability and they're also on the NFL plan, their NFL benefits are going to be reduced dollar for dollar by what they've collected from Social Security. I mean, Social Security disability benefits are earned and guaranteed to them under federal law, and the NFL disability benefits are vested rights. What the NFL and the NFLPA have done here is to basically claw back a sizable amount of these former players' benefits, which really amount to nickels and dimes every month. The average Social Security check that a player receives is roughly $1,500 to $2,500 a month. Not a lot of money, but the NFL and the PA have basically disgorged it from former players. So today, uh, what I plan on on doing in this interview is we're fortunate to have a member of the NFL PA's executive committee, Lorenzo Alexander, join us for a one-on-one interview uh, over the course of 30 minutes where he'll explain uh, the process by which the CBA was approved, I've asked them every question you could imagine, uh, such as why they felt the need to move forward on a CBA with more than one year left under the old deal, whether there was concern over the the pandemic and how that impacted the vote. And I asked him point blank why he voted against the CBA and, and why the CBA went to a full membership vote, even though the executive committee rejected the proposed deal. I mean, that blows my mind. The executive committee uh, rejected it, and the board of representatives didn't think enough of it to give it a recommendation, yet the full membership was allowed to vote on it anyway, where it passed by a narrow 50 or 60 vote margin. But what's really important about today's episode is that we're going to look forward, and Lorenzo is going to focus on the reduction of benefits for former players in the area of disability. He said that that provision, eliminating the automatic qualifier and the new social security disability offset was a mistake by the NFL and the NFLPA. And he'll talk about what steps he's going to take in the future 
to try to restore some of those benefits for the former players who are now disabled. They may not amend the CBA to eliminate it altogether, but he's really given me some optimism that at least for these 400, that there's a chance that they may be grandfathered back into the CBA. I mean, there's a long road to go. And uh, I, I really think that this episode will flesh a lot of those issues out. And without further ado, Robert, let's just let's just roll it. Welcome to Conduct Detrimental, uh, Lorenzo Alexander. I'm really, really thrilled to have you on the podcast. Appreciate you. Yeah, uh, you've had a really perfect or interesting career trajectory that gives you a unique vantage point on the life of an NFL player. You went from an undrafted free agent to a 13-year career in the NFL. You've played for five teams. You've seen it from all angles. You were an undrafted free agent, a practice squad player for two teams. Uh, yeah. You... You've been waived twice earlier in the career. Eventually, you became a mainstay at linebacker and, and started for a number of different teams. And you've carved out uh, a really, really you know, fantastic, prolific career, 13 years in the NFL. You've made the Pro Bowl uh, two times, and you have, you've earned the respect of your peers, uh, both on the field and off the field. Uh, so I think in many ways... You're the perfect voice uh, to look at how the CBA impacts current and former players from all angles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it has given my career has definitely given me a unique uh, vantage point and trying to see it from all different aspects. And, and as you already know, anytime you try to do a CBA that impacts so many different uh, class of people, as far as our diversity, as far as being undrafted, being a first round pick and first year guy or 13 year guy, it can be very, um, uh, hard to say the least. And, and I haven't even mentioned the for, former players as far as what they want and their diverse, diversity and as far as needs as well. Okay, well, you've, you've been on the executive committee of the NFLPA since 2014, and you were recently reelected for your fourth and final term in 2020, yeah. which gives you a front row seat for the recent CBA negotiations and ratifications. So let me put it straight to you. Um, why was the CBA even put to a vote if there was another full year to negotiate? Because the, the current CBA was going to last until the end of the 2020 right. season. So what? why the push to do it now? Um, I think there was a push from all sides. I mean, I think any time that ownership comes to you and wants to do um, a deal possibly early, you definitely want to listen um, because it can become out and be very beneficial for you. Um, I also believe that our player leadership, they, at the end of the at the end of the day, our reps voted um, as as a majority uh, to push this deal to our players, and for them to have them to be, have the ability to vote for it as well. And so, I don't ever think there was a rush to do anything. I think we came to a point to where we had the best and final offer, and guys made a decision whether or not they wanted to move forward. Ultimately, that was done by a slight majority, and. It, at the end of the day, you're going to have people on both sides of that that can argue it either way. Um, but our men voted, and just like leadership was is, and how contentious the vote was, it was close with the EC, close with the reps. It ultimately came down to, you know, 60 to 70 uh, votes difference uh, from our membership. And um, anytime you have a CDA, like I said earlier, with the diversity, it's most likely going to trend that way. Okay, but you were a member of the executive committee, and from what I re recall, the executive committee voted against 
the CBA. Uh, Correct. Why did the, so why did the executive committee vote against the CBA? Were there any particular reasons in your mind, anything that was discussed? Um, and, and if so, why did it then proceed to a full membership vote? Again, I think you have guys that felt like we could maybe push and go a little bit further. Uh, you have other guys that thought it was a great deal and was looking at kind of the uncertainty. And, and I, I feel, again, uh, when you have 11 guys and all the guys, you have undrafted guys like me, you have first-round guys uh, like a, a Richard Sherman, and you you have a different perspective as far as um, your tolerance level, as far as do you want to risk going another year? Obviously, we, we're experiencing a pandemic and a coronavirus right now. And so how would that would have played for us or against us? Nobody really knows. Um, and I think people just have a different tolerance level of being able to allow things to go out. So I think where we're at, you had certain guys, I think it was, I think the vote was 7-5 or 6-5, I can't exactly remember, 6-5 uh, um, against the deal initially. And so that's what guys felt. As far as it getting pushed down, it's my understanding of reading the CBA or reading our constitution that the EC really doesn't have the ability to uh, withhold a deal. That's really the power is stands with the board. And and again, I'm not a lawyer. You can read it and you can interpret it any different way you want to. Um, that's part of why, uh, you know, uh, there's so many lawyers out there because of the way things are written. So it comes down to interpretation. And, and like you are completely aware of, there's different interpretations of how the Constitution reads. And some guys felt like we should have had more power. We do. And other guys felt like we didn't. And so uh, ultimately we moved to the board and they pushed it along anyway to the to the rest of the membership. So I mm -hmm. am always in favor of more guys having an opportunity to, to say yes or no on a deal, even though I understand that I've been voted at the, the highest level of, of representation mm -hmm. for our union. Yeah, well, luckily, uh, we, I am a lawyer and I have read the NFLPA's constitution and the executive committee uh, does have a certain amount or a significant amount of power when it comes to the CBA because you're on the negotiating committee uh, for any negotiations around a new CBA. So I guess I'll ask, how involved were you and the other members of the executive committee in the CBA negotiations? What role um, did the executive yeah. committee actually play? Uh, we were heavily involved, especially during the offseason, uh, doing OTAs and during the summer. Um, made many of trips to Indianapolis or Chicago, wherever they were being held, even during training camp. Uh, but once the season started, uh, obviously my attentions and other guys' attentions had to go focused on their team. Um, and so the staff, and, and I know Eric, who's also a former player, uh, were much more involved than the current guys. Uh, just because that's just the way things had to go at that time. Um, and so then coming out of the season, guys were trying to get back involved. Um, and I think that's where a lot of uh, the contention kind of took place once guys were trying to get back involved. And so I yeah. really wasn't a part of that. Um, obviously, um, Russell filed a, a claim with the NLRB for a reason, and he felt a certain way. And so... All I can comment on that as far as that's that's his perspective. And, and, and obviously those things will play out um, through that process. Yeah. Russell uh, claims in his NLRB petition that the executive committee was frozen out. Um, I, I understand that the emphasis during the season is on the games, but uh, the um, the Jan January, February after the season were somewhat critical um, for for this particular CBA. So who, Correct. who was who was actually involved in the negotiations during the January and February time period? 
Um, I would say it was probably more heavily the the staff. I mean, I was on a playoff team. I think Russ's team might have made the playoffs too. They might have missed it. And and again, like I said, once the season is over, guys have a different way of kind of de- decompressing. Um, some guys might have jumped right back into that. I wasn't a guy that was pushing to get right back involved, and I really wasn't because I was moving and transitioning at the time back to my, my my current home now. And so I think just because there wasn't really another a collective of coming together, people have different perspectives and experiences as far as trying to re-engage into the CBA. That doesn't mean I wasn't informed. I didn't know what was going on. I just wasn't trying to jump right back into it immediately um, when other guys may have. And so um, I think that's where a lot of what, what you're talking about with, with Russ and maybe a couple of other guys felt – maybe pushed out but I you know like I said I wasn't a part of that that process I never felt that coming from DNR staff and um, my experience was unlike Russ's okay so so okay so let's turn to the part of the new CBA that deals with disability benefits that would be article yeah. 60 um, you've been quite vocal about uh, the reduction of disability benefits to former players who yeah. are totally and permanently uh, disabled. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, it's a, uh, it was a mistake, you know, at the you know, very least, uh, based on what came about. I think there's been a lot of misinformation. You know, I think a lot of guys started initially, you know, guys that were um, to- total and permanent uh, on the field. Uh, those guys were going to go from 256 to 48,000. Um, dollars uh, in this deal. And so I think a lot of uh, the emotions got caught up in that. Um, But at the end of the day, there is a social security offset um, that will kick in January uh, 21st. And um, there's a lot of talk about um, the benefit and the way it works and the process of it, you know, with social security. Um, Obviously, a lot of former players feel like you get rejected at a high rate. And and I can completely understand that, completely believe it, um, because I'm going to workers' comp. And I have to figure, I have to fight for, you know, trying to get basic benefits on that. And so mm-hmm. I know there's an issue. Um, the system is broken in a lot of ways. Um, and so I felt that it was, wasn't, I didn't, it didn't sit well with me to roll back guys or offset them. However you feel about how they got through social security, which is part of the CBA. So I'm completely fine about the way they qualify for the benefits. Cause a lot of them are um, disabled and, and deserve that money and need that money. But to then say, okay, well, January 21st, which is essentially was, what, 10 months at the time, and now you're going to potentially offset $30,000 over the course of a year. And having a family, being married, having four kids, I know what type of hit that means to somebody's budget. I mean, that's – and a lot of these guys are dealing with mental issues, um, obviously uh, orthopedic issues, uh, wise may or may not be able to work. But you're talking about maybe losing your house, uh, maybe not being able to pay your rent, maybe not being able to provide a certain type of schooling that you have already set your your life uh, around by getting a certain uh, type of money. And so once I really start digging, because honestly, the disability benefit and the offset didn't come up because you're so focused on the CBA is so focused on current players issues and what the current players want that this kind of went underneath the radar until um, the week leading up until we ratified the deal. And kind of once I figured that out and, and where I was at as a player, I'm about to become a former player, that really pushed my vote to a no because I was already on the fence, you know, with the 17th game and being a 15-year guy 
And if I want to play another year, would I really want to subject my body or anybody else's body to another game? Um, and so I was already 50-50 there. And so that really pushed me to the edge once I figured that we were putting a lot of guys in harm ways financially um, and mentally. And because a lot of these guys are living on the edge as far as what they're able to do now currently with the money that they're receiving uh, with the benefit as it stands now. Yeah, but the, I mean, I read the NFLPA's fact sheets and handouts where they compare the benefits under the old deal compared to the new deal, and and these these documents talk about improvements and increases. They in are the improvements and increases. They are. I mean, no, they're not. Every, everybody doesn't get an improvement and increase. The offset is probably the biggest drawback that you don't people are not talking about. But let's not act like uh, increasing everybody's pension. Uh, up to 550 isn't a big deal. That is a huge and significant deal. And a lot of former players that I talked to prior to this deal, especially in Buffalo where I live and I work and I went over and talked to former players, mm -hmm. they were really talking about pension, money in my pocket right now. And so increasing that made a significant impact in a lot of people's lives uh, as well. I just hate that it came at the cost of these 400 men and their family that, that we're discussing over the, the Social Security offset. Um, and, and that's part of it. CBAs are hard to do, but I do feel like this was a mistake by the NFL and the NFL PA. Is it too late to change it? No, because the, the, the CBA is a living, bit, uh, living, breathing document. Is it going to be hard to change it, especially what we're going through economically right now? I think, I think so, but hopefully we can come to some type of, uh, of remedy or solution that is going to the group of men that we impacted negatively somewhat whole. And I mean, I can't guarantee that, but you can best believe that me and several other guys are going to be fighting for this over the next three or four months to get this changed before this thing kicks in January 21st and to make sure that the new evaluation process is more reliable. And, and, and that's, that's across all of our benefits because all of them are very hard and very contentious and very, um, I guess, hard for guys to apply the clarity and then what counts, what doesn't. Why is his doctor saying that this doesn't count or why is he changing his mind over years? So we really have to make sure that that process is cleaned up. And there's just a lot of things that we have to focus on. But let's not act like we didn't do a significant thing by increasing the pitches for a lot of players. Okay, but do you think that uh, what I was going to say is that the fact sheets and the handouts didn't really mention the uh, reductions of, of disability benefits. It touted improvements and increases to all sorts of things like the pension program. Of course. And, 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 okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, I would, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I, I was one of the guys as soon as, as soon as we got this through and you get hit up by a whole bunch of players is that we need to immediately release a, pre, uh, a press release and, and make a statement about this. But I mean, obviously it, it never happened in, in my eyes. And so that's why I've been vocal as far as being apologetic uh, on my behalf, as well as some of the other guys, I feel the same way. Um, obviously, uh, you would love for the union to uh, get behind that, and um, but we we have fallen short in that, and I have no uh, issue with admitting that um, because we do need to acknowledge the impact that we've had on these men's lives, and uh, I'm sorry that it hasn't been noted. But I mean, that's like any company or any organization; you always want to focus on the positive. And, and brush over the negative. But like I said, I'm going to be a guy that's going to stand up and say, yes, we fall short there, and I'm going to try to fight to correct it while I still have my opportunity to be a part of the union over the next two years.
Okay. Um, one of the other aspects of the uh, of the CBA that deals with disability benefits is to change the automatic qualifier for Social Security determinations. Under the uh, under the old plan, under the 2007 plan, yeah. if you were determined to be eligible for disability benefits by the Social Security Administration, you would automatically qualify under Correct. the NFL's disability plan, and you wouldn't have to go before another plan doctor. Yep. But now that's taken away completely. So right. how do you feel about that? And and what impact will that have going forward? Well, this is what it comes down to. And, and I get the, the hesitation, and I completely understand this. And that's why I think I don't think players have been as involved in the process of making sure that the doctors and the evaluation process is fair. Um, I think it's been a lot, a lot of times it's been driven by staff who are fighting for us and fighting for us our best efforts. But obviously they're not a player and it's easy for the opposing side. I think oftentimes people just think like, okay, we just made these rules up. We, there is an opposition that wants to take everything away completely. And if they had their way, we would go back in the time machine and go back to the 1950s. So let's not like, let's not forget that we are fighting an opponent in the NFL and, and their way of seeing things as well. And so what it comes down to them is, it's all about control. And when you talk about control, they have no control over the social security program. And because of that, there's been a significant influx in the amount of inactive of people qualifying for disabilities. A lot of those guys deserve it, but we all know there's a several bad apples out there that have has given that method of 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 um, applying for for disability a bad name. It only takes a few because there's guys out there that probably don't need it, but maybe know somebody through Social Security and are able to get you know through that process. And so I, that is what the NFL is scared of because the cost is growing out of control, and anything like healthcare. And things that are unforeseen, and you don't quite know how many guys can get through and get there, uh, they 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 it puts them at at an unease. And so it's our job to constantly fight for our guys. And that's what people in that office have done, like Mickey and Bethany. But it's definitely time for players to go in that room as well and say, "No, you can't tell me that this process is fair. It's not fair." And so that is part of what we're trying to do with this new whole body or. Um, complete body evaluation process is to move it more like social security and making sure that the doctors are in place or are educated about what players go through and, and, uh, and make sure that the process is fair as possible. So does that mean that everybody that applies is going to get through and get it? No, but we definitely want to make it more of a process to where more guys are getting on that need it and earn it and deserve it versus the way it is currently. And so um, I understand people that are currently in that system. They've went through it. They said, oh, we got denied. And, and I know I'm hurt. I, I feel you. And so I'm fighting for you right now yeah. as far as making sure that process is going to be as fair as possible. Because I'm myself, I'm in the process of applying for this um, because I've sustained some injuries that are going to make me disabled. Can I still work? Yes. But I'm still going to apply for line of duty. Obviously, I'll get. But some of these other things, just so I have a personal experience of what that process looks like. Um, so that I can fight uh, more educated about it. I kind of have an understanding based on my workers' comp cases that I've gone through recently, but I really want to subject myself to what guys are really going through because I know they're making guys jump through hoops that shouldn't have to, and they need to make the process way more easier, clarify it, make it more accommodable, and then making sure that guys that need to be on it stay on it. 
Um, are you fearful that a significant uh, amount of the 400 that are inactive A's, that are basically guys in their 30s, 40s, maybe early 50s, that they're going to lose their disability benefits entirely because, they're going, because they were initially diagnosed and determined to be disabled under the Social Security regime, and now they've got to go before um, now they've got to go before the plan doctors. How many of those are going to be lost? I I don't I don't I don't know because I don't know how many of those guys went through the NFL initially and then got, got denied or did, did some guys just say, hey, it's, it's, this is an easier process. Let me just go this way because I know I'm gonna get in where they might have still qualified. So I don't know uh, what everybody's uh, disability uh, rating is, you know, for a lack of better terminology, and, and whether or not it will qualify. But I know under this new system, we are trying to make sure it's more inclusive than, and then making sure that the guys that need it, uh, based on what they sustain playing this game, are being taken care of to the best of our ability. Okay. Uh, well, I want to turn to one other aspect of the new CBA that's proven to be somewhat controversial in the area of disability. There was new language. Uh, there was th there was this new language on the offset provision that was uh, included on the final CBA that was posted on the website that added an entirely new paragraph that made the uh, Social Security offsets applicable to anyone who applied uh, before January 1st, 2015. The CBA that was sent out to be voted on uh, included the offset language only for those who received or applied for disability benefits after January 1, 2015. Um, were you aware? I mean, um, this. Do, do you agree that this was a significant I, I, change? I, I would have to go back and look at that. Um, I, I saw Eric, I think Eric made that that suggested that it changed. I know that the language changed, but it wasn't when I read it. And then when I asked them, it wasn't a significant change as far as when guys applied. From my understanding from the beginning, my beginning that everybody that applied, if you applied through Social Security, you were going to be subjected to this offset from the, from the beginning. If you're on TNP, inactive A, through Social Security, January, 20, uh, January 1, 21, you would... Um, be subjected to the Social Security offset. And so that was my mind frame from the beginning. And so understand that that impacted 400 people, 400 men and their families, uh, I, I was always against it. So, um, so I don't know if that changed anything. When I read it, it wasn't a significant, but again, like I said, I'm not a lawyer. And when I asked our team, they said it was, it, it wasn't, a, um, it was more of a clarification of what was happening versus uh, a complete language change. And that's what it seemed to me when I read it as well. Okay, so um, I'll ask about the um, inactive A's. It seems that the offset language is only applicable to the players, former players who are designated as inactive A, which are Correct. those who've applied for and received uh, qualified for benefits in the first 15 years after their last season. Why right. was that uh, offset language only um, applied to the inactive A's and not any of the other categories. Because that, is the, the, because that is the group that is growing from an economical standpoint, as far as the cost that we have to pay out to them, is growing at an uncontrollable rate right now, the most un uncertain rate, I guess I should say. And so it's catching up to pensions and just like healthcare, we, nobody, everybody thinks healthcare is gonna be uncontrollable. That's why we have organizations constantly mm -hmm. Uh, taking it away, 
because they know in 10, 15, 20 years, it's, it's, it's just the cost of healthcare is just crazy. And it's the same thing with this. And so, again, that's why I'm saying mm-hmm. with the cost that the NFL noticed that this, because it, it impacts, it impacts the NFL, right? So we all know that they don't really care about former players. We all, we all know that. And so when these costs are going up every year and you're adding guys that you can't necessarily control whether or not they receive this benefit or not, they look at it how it impacts them. Because the more benefits we get, the more it takes away from salary cap, essentially. And so you have to understand the mindset of why people are going to point out certain things that they don't like about the CBA. And most of the time, it has to deal with control and, and cost. And this is, they have no control in that area with Social Security. And the cost of that benefit is growing at a crazy rate. And so that's why they identified that one and pointed to that one, like, hey, we need to control this because I don't know what that's going to look like in another 10 years because I can't control it and the cost is growing crazy. And okay. so that's why that was earmarked versus um, of the other categories under that, which are not growing at a significant rate compared to the inactive aid. Okay. Final, final question. You mentioned the coronavirus um, earlier on and that the vote took place uh, between the period March 5th through March 14th, when there was a significant concern about the pandemic. Was there any thought given to delaying the vote? I mean, personally, I didn't see the, the haste or rush in having a vote taking place during a week in which there were so many other things going on and the league season was so many months away. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just a matter of opinion. Um, and we had several guys that had that opinion. And throughout the week, guys spoke. Everybody was heard. And then a decision was made collectively uh, to move forward. So nobody pushed anybody either way. Every single player got a chance to speak. Every EC member that wanted to speak got a chance to speak. And then guys that were the voting reps made, made a decision that we need to get this. And so hindsight 2020, what that, what being in a pandemic and in an economic depression have helped us uh, get a better deal than what we had, especially from the economic standpoint. I, I, I highly doubt it that we would have been able to get 48% on an annual basis based on what the economy and the stock market is doing because the owners are going to try to make up that money some way, somehow. And so I think they definitely would have took a much firmer stand on the economics. And I think the economics is probably the most significant piece because then that allows us to do a lot of the other things. You talk about salary cap, of course, but then you talk about the benefits. Obviously, I know that we impacted the the, the TMP, but we talk about... Um, all the other things that we're able to do with that, including the pension, uh, our HRA, increasing the minimums, um, all those things uh, came out of being able to get that 48%. And in an economic depression, do I think the owners would have been like, okay, we'll give you an, another percentage and allow you to have that on an annual basis? No. And so for me, I, I'm glad that we did vote because I think we would have been in a much different place and I think much more people would have been unhappy, um, especially the former players, because I, I don't think we would have got the pitching increase at this point with the way uh, the economy has been going, is predicted to continue to go, and who knows if we're going to even get to play football this year. And so that's a whole year of a loss of, of revenue mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so I don't think the owners would have been as open to moving even incrementally 
in, in our favor. Because we had guys that wanted 50-50. You could throw that out the window right now, now the way this pandemic, this pandemic has impacted the economy. Are you, are you hopeful of being able to reopen the CBA at least to um, revive or restore some of the lost uh, disability benefits that may have um, really caused so much of the controversy recently? I mean, you said you're going to keep uh, yeah. fighting for it. You, right. you think there's yeah. a realistic chance? There, there may be, and maybe the pandemic helps us in that, because a lot of it is just maybe moving some of our benefit dollars around um, um, to maybe help grandfather in um, some of these families. Um, and then anybody that comes on after the grandfather in, would it be if they come in through Social Security, because that is still open until 2024. So if you come on new, then you would be subjected to the offset. Um, because now you have an understanding of what you're getting into versus relying on that money for the last, I don't know, how long the longest person's been on it. But even if it's five years, you've been accustomed to a certain income coming in every year, there may be an opportunity to do something there. And I think okay. if uh, owners um, realize the impact that this pandemic has had on everybody, and now that you want to take a, an additional, you know, 30,000, I'll just say that, on on average from, from families in addition to what it's already occurred. It's, it is, uh, that, I mean, that's just hard. I mean, it's, in my mind, that would be hard for me to do as an owner. And so hopefully that this softens their heart a little bit as far as making this thing right that should have probably never taken place in the first place. Meaning grandfathering in the 400 on the offsets? Co correct. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, listen, Lorenzo, this has been uh, really enlightening. I want to thank you for uh, giving me so much of your time today. I want to congratulate you on uh, on a really like amazing career in which you've done literally everything that one could do on the football field. They don't call you the one-man gang for anything, for nothing. <laughs> no, I appreciate seen, it, thanks. Um, that's like throwback playing all those different positions. So uh, I applaud your fantastic career and your advocacy off the field. And uh, I appreciate you spending time with me and my audience uh, to help shed some light on the um, disability process and on the voting um, procedures of, of the CBA. It was really interesting, and uh, uh, thank you so much again for uh, being generous with your time. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate you. That wraps up another episode of Conduct Detrimental, the sports law podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and like the content that we're providing, please, if you don't mind, give us a, a good review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, Google Play, SoundCloud, or any of the other platforms in which you receive the best-in-class podcasting content. Uh, I would personally appreciate it. It helps us build the audience, and we will be back soon with another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Until next time, case dismissed and the jury is excused. Uh, have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by Wallach Legal, LLC, the country's first sports betting-focused law firm representing clients all across this great land in matters relating to gaming law, sports wagering law, sports law, and yes, even litigation, uh, including appellate litigation. If you have any questions about the show or suggestions for future topics or guests, or if you just want to be a guest yourself, or you're looking to hire a lawyer, you can reach me in either of two ways. 
First, follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Wallach Legal. That's at W-A-L-L-A-C-H-L-E-G-A-L. That's all uppercase, although I don't think it makes a difference. Or you can send me an email at the following email address. WallachLegal at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-L-A-C-H-L-E-G-A-L at gmail.com. 